That wizard came from the moon. Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers the toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, Quarantine Edition, America is buying weed like it's toilet paper. Dan goes dangerous with Sekiro, shadows die twice, while Andy picks up some mobile mahjong and Dragalia Lost. We talk about vape pens and some other hard games, and we look at some titles coming out in March. While you're stuck inside, we also talk about the best strains to explore the galaxy with. Stephen Hawking style. We'll also be settling in for a smoke sesh, so stick around for that because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me as always, the one, the only, he's starting to dank from being stuck inside, Dank Dan. Andy, I'm duty-bound as a samurai of the Purple Dungeon Squid Clan to fight to the death for the honor of the squid. That is, that is a... Noble, noble sentiment, Dan. Welcome back to the land of the reality. I know you've been beating your head against Sekiro for the last two weeks, but, but welcome back. I can only assume that that's an attack. <laughs> Have at you. Yeah, you got, you got some so solid PTSD going on, from what I can tell. There's danger everywhere, Dan. I drew my katana out of an imaginary scabbard uh, when my sweet, sweet lady surprised me, like in the hallway, and uh, there's nothing there. However, I would like to say I countered at the exact right time. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Did you ever notice that um, every weed dealer you ever had owns a sword? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I think they give you one. Like, one comes in the mail. <laughs> you start selling. I mean, you know, now weed dealers are large retail chains, so that's fine. But um, back in the good old days of illegal cannabis... Uh, every weed dealer always had a sword. It's like you, it's almost like a rite of passage. You didn't have one, you know. You, you weren't really a weed dealer. If you're like under 25 and you amass greater than six hundred dollars, there's a hundred percent certainty you're gonna purchase some mall ninja <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's either gonna be a, like a straight up samurai sword, which full disclosure, I may have bought one. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> or oh, wait, no, sorry. I want I want to hear your joke, but. Let's let's go back to the fact that you bought a samurai sword. So please, I need to understand. Did you buy it for the quality and craftsmanship? Like, did you introduce this sword to your friends as they came over for all of the selling features and benefits it has, the way it was tempered and, and forged, or is it just decoration? You you've proffered a lot of things just now, and let me try and take you into the reasoning. I was less than eighteen. I was in Toronto on Spadina Street, of course, and and there was a dragon themed samurai sword and i had greater than five hundred dollars at the time this is good so i think uh i borrowed like 40 bucks off two friends for the cash and i walked out with a dragon hilted sword which i mean was not was not battle ready it was not <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't, couldn't slice an orange no and like as i as i've learned more about uh samurai's uh 
partially for my research for this particular episode. <laughs> the, the object is not to clash swords because even very good samurai swords like katanas will break if you hit them against another katana. Do you know what the, the strategy is that these uh, samurai use? What? They try to stab each other in the fucking hands. <laughs> That's like the number one thing. Because if you can like stab a guy between the thumb and the finger, he can't hold that sword anymore. So no. like your idea is you like hold your sword in such a way that they can't tell how long it is because you're not giving them like the depth to, your, to see it. And then you want to try and poke their hands as quick as possible. And the second main point that I picked away up is even... Uh, some practice people the first thing they'll do is like raise their sword in the air as to where to do a downwards chop and this this sword master's like you just stab him in the chest then just like this he's like Boop. i'm like okay this is less of an art than i thought the more like cut his hands stab him if he raises his arms in the air i'm like it's all good that is really good helpful to know if i'm ever in a samurai battle i definitely will not make the newbie mistake of trying to approach in an elegant fashion and raise my sword that is a Sure way to get killed. So here's the second part of this story. I no longer have the sword. And the reason is when my buddy, uh, we'll call him Paul Q. I think he listens to the show. When he <laughs> left to go, he, he lived around the corner from me as a childhood friend. His family was uh, from the southern United States and they were going back. And when he left, I'm like, well, I got to give him the sword. <laughs> what? I have to give him the sword. It just it just dawned on me that he had to have the sword, like like a birthright, like passing down through the generations. We're the same age, mind you. So I, I gave him this sword while he was going over the border. And there's probably a second part to this story where the, the like border guards were like, Hey, what's with your ceremonial blade? <laughs> Sirica, uh, Kurosawa and and who knows it might have got confiscated at the border. I gotta ask him. I gotta hit yeah. him. Yeah. I just so it just dawned on you. I mean, was he going to the states to be a weed dealer? You know what? Uh, <laughs> I can't talk about that. Actually, he <laughs> went into go. the military not that long after, so perhaps my blade pressed him into military service. I just don't know if that precludes him from the weed dealer samurai sword connection. I feel like if you're in the military and there's a guy with a samurai sword, he's the guy to go to for some weed. Well, he's a he's a, a fine butcher now. So nice. maybe that played into that as well. I think I've influenced the majority of his life is what I'm trying he's to say. Just, he's doing his his entire life of butchery has been done with this dragon hilted novelty sword from Chinatown. <laughs> you know, as regretful as the purchase Welcome is. Welcome to my abattoir. <laughs> as regretful as this purchase was, there's something to be said about having a realization I have to give this man my sword because right. you have to have a sword to do that to hit that moment. So I regret nothing. Well, I'm happy for you, Dan. I mean, uh, we, at least it gave us this happy moment here, even though your sub 20 year old self had to do without six hundred dollars. No, it was two. Uh, so it that, was two hundred dollars. It was two. Oh, I'm sorry. You said you borrowed forty. You had over five hundred. Yeah, like at, at home. I'm just doing simple like, math here, Dan. Cash, cash on hand. You yeah. know what I mean? Tell, like, tell the ju tell the jury how much money you spent on the sword. No, this truly was two hundred dollars, and okay. uh, it's evidence of how uh, if you're under 20, your brain is still kind of like a gelatinous kind of paste. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Some of us never really got past that. How you been, Dan? How are things on your end, buddy? It's been a minute. Um, you know what? I don't know. I don't know, buddy, how things are. I haven't seen outside of this building in nigh on five days, and I'm sure yeah. that's happened before, but because I feel like I can't leave, there's like an extra effect. 
Yeah, it was so funny, like editing these these show notes because the last time we were trying to do this show, we were in Las Vegas, or I was in Las Vegas, and um, my microphone broke. So we were halfway through recording the first bit of the show, microphone broke. We thought, no, we'll just do it, you know, whatever next week. And here we are, uh, you know, deep into quarantine season. And um, yeah, I had to rewrite the show notes because of all the current current events, as my ninth grade uh, high school teacher would have said. Yeah, things are happening. Things are happening. So uh, we made a stern commitment here to not be bummers about the current state of the universe. Um, yes. No bummers. That's a rule. For sure. The COVID-19 situation is, yeah, not the greatest. Um, Spanibus canceled pretty much every major convention or gathering of human beings has been canceled. Um, you know, and, and this started kind of trickling in about 10 days ago as, yeah, Spanibus, Hall of Flowers, a bunch of really notable cannabis conventions, many of which I was going to attend, um, started canceling. And then, yeah, I mean, the rest is the rest is well, well known and well documented for anybody with a television or the Internet. So we won't. Uh, yeah, we won't go all over there. But suffice to say, hopefully you're indoors and uh, spending some quality time uh, with yourself and your family in good health. So here's a podcast promise we make to you. Number one, no bummers. Number two, no advice. None. Not one shred of advice. No advice here. You already know. You already know. You know. You know. Everybody knows. In fact, that's why uh, I've spent the lion's share of the last week trying to find a drop of hand sanitizer anyway, but there's none to be found. Andy, uh, I'm just going to ask you a, a, a true or false question. Sure. In the last week, have you bought a truckload of hand sanitizer? <laughs> a literal truck? A literal truckload? Literal truckload of hand sanitizer. Not for personal use. That's a business thing. It's but yeah, we won't How many dollars did you spend did you spend on hand sanitizer? You see, I just I don't want to answer that question because it's gonna sound like I stocked up on hand sanitizer for me and my family, which I have not. I do not have a drop of hand sanitizer. Uh, Your in Honor, this home. can you instruct the uh the witness to answer in yes or no? Five thousand dollars on hand sanitizer. There it is. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's in the past no forty eight f- hours, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No no further, Your Honor. Uh true or false, that's more than I spent on this samurai sword. <laughs> Yes, well, mine, I rest my mine case. is a matter of public safety. Yours is so a sword, is mine. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well played, buddy. Well played. Oh, thanks. But man. yes, anyway, hopefully everyone, you know, uh, everyone is, uh, you know, on the train for um, staying, staying healthy and staying safe. But uh, you know. Um, yeah, here we are indoors. No advice, Andy. No advice. Yeah, it's it's like we all just became indoor kids. We all know what it's like to have a compromised immune system now. You know, we are we're all bubble children and there are some drawbacks and there's some positives. And I think one of them is I played a lot of video games this week, my dude. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. And and you know, it's true. You know, it's a it's a nerve wracking time. Like I'm I'm the kind of guy who who you know hasn't used hand sanitizer or sanitizer pretty much ever. You know, and and these days I'm wishing I had some. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's just that's kind of the mentality of the times. But there's also this bright little patch of solace where you can be at home, spending a little bit more time with kids and loved ones, and and indeed controllers. Yeah, I've had more video gaming time than in a long. Actually, that's not a hundred percent true because things have been awfully hectic uh, in, in the work side of my life. But um, but to be fair, no not, not commuting <laughs> anywhere means that, you know, uh, there, there has been a little bit of extra time for myself in the in-between moments. So um, very grateful for that. And, and indeed, uh, what's also interesting is the sheer amount of weed that everybody in North America appears to be buying right now. Have you heard about this? Tell me about that. 
Is there an uptick? There's <laughs> a, substan- a giant uptick in the amount of weed people are buying, and you know it's all over uh, all over the news. And um, I think the last you know posted article that I saw was sixty five percent increase in sales on average. Yeah, my dude. So dispensaries are selling a lot of cannabis right now to folks. And I guess the question is like, you know, we don't need to go into a conversation about panic buying things because I no. think that we all that's we a all bum- have that's a, a similar that's a, that's a bummer that's a bummer that's a we bummer. have a similar opinion on all of this, but. Um, from a cannabis perspective, it doesn't feel like a panic buy. It feels like a people are going to be inside a lot and they're smoking a lot more weed. Would you agree? Would you say that, you know, this is probably linked to an increase in consumption? What are your thoughts? I think so. Well, where is the best place to smoke weed? At your home in front of the television. That's the best place. Like there are other good places. Everybody can make an argument, but I would argue to the death. The best place is your home. Right. Uh, not your parents' home. You know, some of us are still in that paradigm. I get it. If your home is also your parents' home, that can be a problem. But if you have if you have a your own domicile, that's the spot. Because no matter how it goes, you're in that nice cloistered nest where you got everything you need. You got your munchies, you got your comfies. You're probably wearing soft satin britches. It's it's all the good things. Dan, I'm always always wearing soft satin britches. I know britches. that about you. I know that about you. Yep. Even when you see me not in soft satin britches, I've lined the interior with soft satin britches betwixt the clothing there the, that's where the <laughs> Actually, britches lie i watched that episode of uh, seinfeld the other night where kramer right. starts wearing sink, silk undergarments it's a classic mm-hmm. take a look mm-hmm. take a peek that's it that's all you have on that that's all you have on that <laughs> cut sorry, cut from no. the episode <laughs> that's Man, nothing seinfeld is is uh it's on crave or hbo if you're in the u.s good god is that ever just a timeless amazing show i've i've been binge watched this is all nothing andy this is all- <laughs> listen man i mean like, people know seinfeld is good but if you're stuck indoors and you have a lot of weed seinfeld is your next destination i just have mm-hmm. to say i don't care how many mm-hmm. episodes you've seen go back watch it from the beginning every episode is every episode is good dan every one yeah Exactly. There's no. It, that's what I find about Seinfeld. Whichever one you put on, you're like, oh, this one's a classic. Because they're all classics. These pretzels are making me thirsty, Dan. She was a close talker, a long <laughs> talker, a sidler. Um, oh, so if we're just going to talk about shit we're watching on TV, Fired Up the Mandalorian, that oh, show is dope. No way. That show is. It's all the good things. It is. Really? Uh, Andy, I'm going to throw it out there. So far, thus far, it bests almost every Star Wars movie that has been released in my lifetime. Sorry. Come Sorry. on. Come there on. There it is. Buddy. Come on. The the lore. I don't want to spoil it because you must watch it. It's steeped in Mandalorian lore. What was cool about Boba Fett? I'll give you a chance to answer. I don't know, bro. Did a Sarlacc lay an egg in your fucking head, man? You're telling me the best... The best Star Wars production ever released. Released in my lifetime. So that that excludes uh, the original you know, trilogy, n- New Hope, Empire, and Jedi, because right. we could you could split those hairs. But let me tell you what the coolest thing about Boba Fett is. He said almost nothing and was uh, in an air of mystery, but you could tell he was a badass. Darth Vader tells him no more uh, vaporizations. He's generally a badass. Everything he did, though, on screen, he fucked up pretty bad. You know, uh, comically bad. Landing a Sarlacc pick. Yeah, real bad for a guy that was clearly a badass. This, the Mandalorian in the first couple episodes just starts throwing Mandalorian lore in there. And I don't want to spoil any of it, but it is, oh, mm, it tastes so good. 
Nice. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know who's in it? Carl Weathers is in it. You know who Carl Weathers is? No, I do not know who Carl Weathers is. He played uh, Tubbs in Happy Gilmore. He gets his hand bitten off by an alligator. Oh, yeah, okay. He's in it. So now there's three black guys in the universe. There's Lando Calrissian, there's Finn, and there's this guy, Carl Weathers. That's that's good numbers. The numbers are coming up. Listen, Star Wars becoming more and more inclusive by the day. That's right. And, like, it is kind of weird how... That was originally pretty much not the case, especially no. considering how, how much effort they went to to populate the universe with extremely elaborate aliens. Yeah, so three like, eyes. We got, we got one variety of human being, like one available human race, and production value goes over the top for literally every other person on screen. It's like, maybe just some more representation, Mr. Lucas. Maybe we you just know, go that direction. He just had bigger shit to worry about. Like, and yeah, people weren't, sure. people weren't messing with that. Or it was the 70s. But let's There's be clear. Too. Lando Calrissian is the only black guy in the universe at that point, yes. But he's also cooler than Han Solo. True. So, true enough. Uh, and, rest yeah. my case. Good. He's also like, a turncoat, uh, but and a sellout. But you know, no problem. You know what? He did what he had to do for his for his people. You know, lesser uh, of two evils. Okay. Yeah. He's you know, back. He's he leads Cloud City. He can't sacrifice Cloud City just to do Han Solo a solid. You know, you've really changed my opinion of Lando Calrissian in the past few minutes here. That's right. You know what the weirdest part is? What's that? In the end of that movie, or uh, when they blow up the second Death Star, Lando is wearing Han's clothes for some reason. In, <laughs> in, in, in the Millennium Falcon, it's him and Chewie, because uh, 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 Han is down on the moon of Endor taking out the shield, and he's just straight up wearing Han's clothes. What I want to know- There's a lot of excitement. Did he Lando just... went in his pants, and there was a fresh pair in the Falcon. Like, did he just get in here, and he's like, oh, I think Ooh. these look better on me, Billy no, D. Buddy. Williams. There is definitely, to put on another man's clothes, you need to have some soiled undergarments. <laughs> like, just <laughs> stress. There's no other alternative uh, reason to go to go that way. Uh, but I think Lando Calrissian's too cool to accidentally shit his britches. <laughs> I can't. I, listen, I'm just saying anecdotal evidence suggests otherwise. Like Luke Skywalker, I imagine that at the end of every heart pounding scene, he shit himself. That's just like <laughs> he's a moisture farmer. I don't hold that above his head as something like I, I'm sure I would have also uh, uh, fudged my huggies. But Lando, nah, clean as a whistle. Oh, my goodness. Luke just. Just polluting back to tanks, back to back to back, triple entendre. We've gone too deep. We've gone deep. It just this that scene with Luke in the giant adult diaper floating in a back to tank. Just it's that's right. stuck in my mind, Dan. Uh, Mere moments before smooching his own sister. Yeah. Mmm. Delicious. Oh, yuck. Yucko. The best part is in uh, Return of the Jedi. Leia kisses Han, and he's like, gets the kiss, loves the kiss, and then. You can see him thinking back to, because she then tells him uh, Luke is her brother, because he's like, what about Luke? She tells him, and then you can see him flash back to when she kissed Luke in front of him to make him jealous, and you can just see the shock, and then he becomes okay with it. Yeah, he's like, all right, well. It's great acting. It's great acting. Listen, man. Strange times, strange measures. I agree. You need to segue us away from this. We're too deep. I really got to get out of here. Uh, really got to. Yeah. We got to hightail it out of uh, Star Star Wars territory. Yeah, we have the thirty minutes. We have thirty minutes of Star Wars conversation in the show notes. So just go 
right after that i could just next next slide please um <laughs> but uh back to the original question so have you upped your weed intake since uh since i mean you're just off for the week so i, I don't know like more weed the on-brand answer is that i've been blazing to the ceiling but the truth is i've been a little bit a little bit freaked out about the you know what that's going on you know everywhere and i'm already like thinking I'm like am I hot does my my throat hurt was that cough is that the real cough or is it just a normal cough because I cough sometimes so I've been not blazing oh okay tonight will be the premier blaze since the lockdown yeah yeah I got you man I mean um you know it goes without saying don't be sharing joints or anything like that but um but yeah I mean the end of the day I know a lot of folks friends of mine in, in my circle um, you know, are, are using cannabis to kind of ease some of the anxiety right now. Um, mm -hmm. and so, you know, the, the hard part is, is that, you know, there's not a lot you, outside of taking precautions and doing the things. There's not a lot you can do as a, an individual person sitting at home at 9 PM. And so sometimes uh, a little bit of cannabis, you know, helps take the mind away from the endless news cycle, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Turn that off. Maybe a spark a bone. These are all, these are all good ideas. They're all good ideas. They're all good ideas. You know what I was also thinking, though, Dan? Uh, and it kind of it came up for me when you were talking to me about playing Sekiro. You know, I couldn't tell if you were having fun or really not having fun. <laughs> Special. It's a very certain kind of fun. Yeah. You know, it's the fun that mostly hurts. You know, that kind of fun. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't know, dear listener. Oh, by the way, <laughs> we should probably preface this. This is a podcast about video games and weed. Yep. <laughs> we never we never mentioned that. No. Uh, up top. Uh, Sekiro is a very, very challenging game in the vein of a Dark Souls or whatever. At this point, doesn't it feel really tired and cliche to say that a thousand times? Which part? The Dark Souls compared, like every time a hard game comes out in the last like five years, it's a Dark Souls-esque yeah. or Soulsian yeah. or, you know, some sort of reference to Dark Souls. Can you imagine being so ubiquitous with hard action game that everything that comes out after you is Dark Souls-esque? Yeah, we got, we got soft, Andy. We got <laughs> really soft. A historian could tell you the day because it flipped in a moment where you could lose a game. Every game before it, you could lose. And then every game after it, impossible to lose. You can have setbacks, you know, you can have to roll back a tick, but you couldn't lose. It wouldn't go game over. And the next screen you say says start. Yeah. Oh, yes. No, 100%. Couldn't agree more. You know what I mean? We got so far into that. It's like uh, the guys at From Software and Atlas, they were like, hey, what if these games were hard again? And I don't mean <laughs> hard like, oh, I'm going to have to learn how to do that. Like hard uh, you're playing the game, ding dong, you open the door, 10 ninjas, all stabbing. They've stabbed you, everyone's dead. Yep. I, and, and you know, it's funny because like when you think about dark, or dark, oh my goodness. When you think about hard games, there really is that line in the sand. Because you could have games like many of the platformers from the Genesis and NES and Super Nintendo era, you know, they're tough. There's not a save feature. And if you lose all of your lives, you start again from the beginning. Even Sonic the Hedgehog is extremely difficult challenging. because of it, that. Yeah, it's challenging. And like, that's what I mean. They're all hard. Like whether you were playing Aladdin or you were playing Altered Beast, it didn't matter the quote unquote audience, all very challenging. Really hard. Yeah, agreed. And so, you know, there's that line in the sand and then there's there's modern hard games like Dark Souls and anything after. And it's just so funny because like you'll listen to people talk about Dark Souls, but then you'll listen to people talk about games that really are nothing like Dark Souls, like a roguelike will come out or, you know, a, a more challenging RPG will come out. And 
There's always the reference to Dark Souls in there if it's a challenging game that um, requires you to, in some way, just like, you know, Genesis games of old or whatever, in some way, repeat a thing enough times to to master it. And that's kind of what Dark Souls piloted, right? Like, you die, you start over again, you do the thing, you know that the enemy is there, and the enemy is there, and the enemy is there, and you're, you're going to try and not die from a, let's call it air quotes, unfair or completely random event, and eventually you get to the end and you, you know, you've mastered mastered the footsteps enough to beat it. It's like anytime that is happening in a game now, it doesn't have to be an action RPG or, you know, uh, really anything related to Dark Souls. Dark Souls gets dropped in there. It's just amazing, really. I hear people say that quite a bit, but to be a Souls-like game, I think you need a couple things. You need it to be a 3D third person melee sure. based game it needs to have a block an attack and a very often a dodge sort of parry in there to count and i have to put another asterisk in there where there can't be like a mechanic that yeah the game's hard but if you just do these things you'll you'll beat it you'll win every time and to throw it in there i'll throw in things like the mega man e-tank you know what i mean like yeah there are potions but there you must use them to win for the most part rather than yeah just stack up three because for the very hard bosses of mega man i'd be like okay i gotta farm five or six energy tanks and then come back and then just you know ham fist this this thing sure yeah and that's the thing is like there are at sometimes you know mechanisms in this game that allow you to kind of brute force it and that's another thing about difficulty games like bioshock for example which were not particularly difficult but one of the main reasons they were not particularly difficult is because of the same the same innovation that took us from like that hard old school game era to newer games which are less hard is the save feature. And if you remember in Bioshock, you you die, you return to your most recent save area or whatever, I can't remember what it's called. It's, it's like a, a cloning tank or something. Cloning tank or something. But the game hasn't reset to when you were there last. No. The game is exactly where it is. So you could literally be killing an enemy or a boss or a big daddy or something like that, die, respawn in the clone thing, rush this guy and continue like, hitting down his health points. I actually really hated that about Bioshock, to be honest with you. <laughs> that was horrible. But like... Let's throw some shade. Yeah, for sure. That just, that bugged me. Anyway, it's it's interesting what makes games hard and like rote repetition and somewhat unfair dying circumstances that can only really be circumvented by like dying to them and then knowing not to die from them next time. Yeah, and I don't know if that's necessarily, like, I guess that's built into the Souls-like thing. And let's talk Bioshock for a second. Right. Bioshock was, playing that game was one of the times that I started to notice the AI being programmed to secretly be easier. Bioshock is one of the first games I noticed that the enemies always missed their first shot. Oh, interesting. Always. Bioshock also has this thing where enemies you're not looking at move slower. Oh, really? If you're getting chased by a big daddy, when you're not looking at him and running, he actually moves slower than when you're looking at him. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, not not to veer too deep into Bioshock. Game was wonderful. Atmosphere was great. Combat and the actual mechanics of it, I did not love. Back to why we were talking about hard games. To me, it's like if, <laughs> if you're stuck inside, hard games are maybe one of the things to tackle. I don't know about you, Dan. For me, you know, getting into a hard game, getting into a game that requires, you know, that level of focus is not really what I want to do Tuesday night after work kind of requires a, a more a larger unbroken block of time so I'm just curious are there like are there any hard games in your backlog or just hard games in general that are a good pick 
for quarantine times. What do you think? Yeah, I think when you're talking about hard games, you got to break it up between old hard games and new hard games because I think they're very, very different. Yeah, that makes sense. And enjoyable in the same way. And I think you're right. You touched on something. I've been playing a lot of Sekiro. It is not a relaxing event. It is hyper-focused. It's the pro gamer leaned forward. And the moment of joy over besting a boss is so sharp and jumping out of your chair cheering but it's momentary because then you're right back into it with new enemies and up to a new boss that you know is gonna hand your ass to you multiple times and the the humiliation of Sekiro is it'll be first like normal guys that hand you your ass and you're like oh this game's not play- playing around at all going back to your question yeah there's some there's a couple tell me if you've played them and if you've beaten them that'll give us a little vibe let me throw out a, a classic battle toads oh man nes <laughs> yeah of course so i um nes okay so i've not played nes battle toads was it snes or nes uh the first battle toads was an nes title my friend really so i played the i only have played the genesis version is that you uh, i believe that's the same version okay here's the way to tell in the third level after you go down the tube attached to the string which is just an amazing mechanic you jump on hover bikes and have to dodge a series of blockers yeah yeah the hover bikes is absolutely legendary and for sure that's we're talking about this i just didn't realize that these graphics were available on an nes but dude battletoads and the actual the actual jet bike sequence is scarred in my heart (laughs) That game is yeah. stupid hard. And it's even harder because at the time I was playing it with a buddy, a friend of mine, Joey, and we would we were up at the cottage. I had just gotten Battletoads for Genesis and we were smashing through it. That segment, when you're playing it with a friend, both of you not dying miserably, almost impossible. That is what separates the men from the boys, uh, that, that sequence, because it's the series of dodges up and down and the jumps that have to be perfectly timed, uh, sometimes requiring you to do like a, an intermediate jump between the islands. If you can beat that one level, consider yourself like you're anointed into the uh, hard mode NES. And believe it or not, the game only gets harder from there. Yeah, no, it's true. And the thing is, finite lives also. Like, real finite lives. You're not just going back and starting again and trying. You better have a reservoir of lives. So forget about just, like, the hover bike jumping sequence. You need to actually get so good at the first half of the, or the first third of the game, that you've got enough lives going into there that you can actually get some good mileage on getting through that thing. Because you're going to need a couple tries. So first you have to master the first chunk of the game before you even have a chance of getting good at the second chunk, you know? Yeah, the, it's once you beat that, you're like, oh, there's 80% more game here for me to win. And it still was still a satisfying game. The punching combos that lead up into progressively bigger punts is a tick, 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 boogoof. <laughs> That is so satisfying. Oh, yeah. I highly recommend it. Let it beat and break you. So before you go on from Battletoads, though, isn't there another Battletoads game yeah. coming out from Rare? There is. There's a new Battletoads game Is it, is it game out yet, out. though? I'm just looking at the trailer here. I'll be honest. Doesn't look like uh, my Battletoads. That's for sure. Looks like... Hashtag not my Battletoads. Looks like hashtag 2015 Saturday morning cartoons, which, you know pale in comparison to what we enjoyed in the late 80s early 90s but yeah definitely stylized in a way that feels completely not like Battletoads but have you heard anything about this or no Uh, I think I saw a, a little gander it's you can't go you can't go home again Andy nah man you can't can't do it you can't do it I don't think all right buddy let me throw it out there 
Oh, did you beat Battletoads, Andy? No, God, no. I, I did beat. So yeah. you, you get to that point where you've spent so much of your blood, sweat, and tears on beating the hoverbike level that when you actually beat the hoverbike level and then die immediately afterwards, it's kind of over for you. If you beat the hoverbike level, you've beaten it, Asterix. I give that to people. Like, you beat Thank the hoverbike level? Okay. Uh, you beat it, Asterix. I've been waiting most of my adult life for someone to say that to me, so I appreciate that. Andy, have you played Contra for NES? <laughs> Actually, Contra is one I've not played. Oh, Contra is great. Awesome soundtrack. It's uh, buff dudes with no shirts uh, shooting guns. Sounds like your kind of game. You got dude. it. Two player. I don't played a lot of two player games because I had uh, my brother shoulder to shoulder with me. This game is very challenging. It's kind of like, I don't want to call it a bullet hell, but there's a lot of projectiles coming at you. It's entirely driven by the power-ups that you have. Very challenging in terms of the the level design. You know, first it's a side-scrolling, and then after you, you beat the first sort of Battle Fortress boss, it throws you into a different isometric view where you're now facing sort of in towards like a corridor with your back to the screen, and you have to dodge security measures and shoot specific spots. This game, I believe, starts you with three or five lives. Um, the game is nigh unbeatable with that many lives. It enters the Konami code, which will get you, maybe it's 25, don't quote me. You get a lot more lives, and uh, then it is still very challenging. Does not does not guarantee success. Yeah, it's it's so, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, and it's, it's funny you mentioned the isometric change. One of the games that did that, that totally disoriented me, do you ever play the Desert Strike, City Strike, Jungle Strike, like helicopter Apache helicopter games? Yeah, isometric top down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was one of those games that for me, never beat very difficult very challenging old school game where you know similarly there was a save system but it was password sort of so you get a password and you can skip to a new level or something so I, I think that you know that was there but you'd be playing as this attack helicopter for so long and then you would land and you would go into soldier mode and you'd like run through a little base or something like that so disorienting when something really like fundamental about an old school game changes you get into the groove and then you like turn into something different or get another perspective makes it so much harder. The game in the game. And I, and I assert that the controls for the helicopter require you to break your brain just to figure out. Like, because at first you're like, how do you even control this? And when you get a hang of it, it, it has broken you to its twisted ways. So when you go to another mode, you're a crippled mess. Yeah, Desert Strike was like my Saturday morning cartoons as a kid. So I don't know, that game was for some, it was one of the games that, you know, everyone's got a game that wasn't that popular, but you got it and you played the hell out of it because as a kid you had like three games, right? So Desert Strike was mine. That game was so difficult just to even line up your helicopter to shoot something. Almost nigh impossible. I maintain that it is a fond memory and also probably contributing to some of my adult lunacy. I, I feel that's accurate. Uh, I beat Contra with three lives, a little asterisk there, two players, and there was some life stealing going on there, I have to be honest. That was the one source of combat over this game is you can steal your partner's life when you die and like use one of his dudes. Uh-huh. It's uh that's going to cause a fist fight right there. That sounds like a recipe for sibling hate. Oh buddy, yes. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Another game we're going to throw out there, Mega Man. 
The yep. Ridge. I think it was like episode yes. one of our early episodes, five or six or something, when I played my first Mega Man game. I think we had a conversation about difficulty at that point, too. My original impression of Mega Man was so negative because it just felt so rote. You know, it, was, it felt like a memorization game. But as you actually get into that game and start kind of learning some of the some of the common themes of how to make jumps happen and, you know, what bosses are probably going to do. And you get a few more of those tech abilities at the end of the, the levels. They give you like a new whatever rocket boots or whatever it is. That game is awesome. It's great. Mega Man 2, for my money, is the best of the Mega Man collection of the original NES series. Mega Man 1 is like a good start, but Mega Man 2 really hits... The peak, I'm sure the other ones are good, but it just it holds a special place in my heart. Word up to the Metal Man's ability, being able to fire basically a buzzsaw in any direction. Nice. Any direction. That's what I paid for. That's a man's tool. It is a man's tool. This game requires a couple levels of mastery. You have to master every level and every boss, but also the order in which to beat the bosses, which only clears you so far to go through the castle, which will be a series of levels that throw mini bosses at you, which it's like they're locked behind the castle door, so you'll be seeing them fresh for the first time. So your chances of taking them out in the first go very low, sometimes even puzzle levels where you have to sort of figure out which doors to bomb to get where you need to go. And if you, you run out of ammo, you're just you just get to die now. So there's that. And then you have to do a boss rush where you fight every boss in a row. Oh, so you you better have figured out those bosses by that time just to get to the the end. And usually the end boss is easier than that boss rush, in my opinion, but uh, truly challenging. I've beaten some of the Mega Mans, but not all of them. Yeah. Mega Man 2, yes. I've only played Mega Man X. I hear 2 is the, yeah, from you and from, you know, the the broader internet community, 2 is the classic. You know, I I know Shovel Knight, um, which is the, I guess you could say, modern classic that I played recently. Steals a lot from Mega Man and also quite hard, too. So, I, you know, it's funny because those platformers, along with Bullet Hells, Roguelikes, and Souls like games, are probably the most popular, really difficult games because of their format. Like, I feel like you don't get a lot of really difficult first person shooters. Can you think of, I can't think of any really. First person shooters on the NES? No, just in general. It just feels like the genres of game that spawn these kind of cult, really difficult games doesn't happen to be JRPGs, doesn't happen to be FPS, doesn't happen to be, well, I mean, sports titles and racing titles, whatever. A lot of the times in first-person shooters or JRPGs, there'll be one boss that's unreasonably hard that's either optional or it almost they almost seem hard by mistake. It seems like, given the rest of the context of the game, you're like, why is this guy like, fuck you in particular? Right, no, I get that. And, and I'm in alignment. Yeah, and it's tough because like with FPSs, at least modern FPSs, a lot of the time the bosses are difficult just because their health has been ramped up to you know nonsense levels and it's kind of a war of attrition you just have to avoid like destiny is a great example of this borderlands is an absolutely criminal example of this games where the health is just ratcheted up to a million and you're avoiding the same mechanics for a super long time until they go down yeah absolutely speaking of hard games we got to say ninja gaiden for the nes oh i also haven't played that it starts with ryo hayabusa having a, a showdown with another ninja and then somebody gets killed and then somebody's girlfriend gets stolen. So it's it's an 80s action movie opening. Another game with very great, that has a great soundtrack. But the content of the game is uh, you're playing a ninja, which includes wall jumping and wall climbing. But it also includes an endless stream of enemy ninjas and perilous 
perilous drops in many places of the game requiring expert navigation of these wall hang timing jumps and my personal nemesis birds oh birds will come down and just destroy your whole life knocking you into a pit just very very challenging bosses this game will just thrash you Nice. And get Gaiden, Ninja Gaiden was for what? SNES? NES. We're talking NES. It's just funny. Like, Do you think that between the NES and the SNES games got significantly easier? I think I think a little bit. There was like a ratcheting down of the, of the difficulty. And I think part of that is because they could just fit more game on the cart. Right. Because these, these older games, if they're too easy, you could clear them very, very quickly. Having that challenge there extended the gameplay and gave, gave you a, a real run for your money. And I think that's why the old school gamers of our generation developed a lot of the skills that brought them forward to now. It yeah. was from that, the grindhouse. Well, it's interesting that you make that connection because it's true. The greatest example of content expansion today is like open world games you literally have games that could take you over a hundred hours to to do everything in them and it's not necessarily that all of those games or all of the game is even particularly fun or interesting to do there's just so much content like brother of the wild is a good example because it has a lot of great content and great exploration but you know even a game like skyrim has a lot of super rote stuff that's just not that good However, the amount of time you can spend in Skyrim is nigh infinite, right? And with that available now, you don't necessarily have to bake in difficulty to make sure that a consumer feels like they're getting their money's worth. Whereas, I guess it makes sense. If you have a NES game and, you know, you could theoretically beat it in a two to three hour window if it wasn't so damn hard. Yeah, it makes sense to make hard games. Yeah, we're in a generation where people are always talking about how big the world is. They're like, it's 50 square miles of, of real world. And that's cool. But also, is it fun? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not fun. Uh, we got a challenge here. Something I really liked about, oh, I always mess up the name, event, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. There it is. Right. Horizon Zero Dawn, every piece of that landscape I found very, very exciting for an open world game. So kudos to them. There was the very first in the series of Morrowind, was Morrowind the very first Skyrim, like, Elder Scrolls game? What was the first one called? No, Morrowind was the third. First one was... It's called, like, Rogue or something. It's, like, Daggerfall. I don't, Daggerfall is the second one. No, is it? I thought Daggerfall was the first one. Well, Elder Scrolls games. Let's ask Google. What do you got for us? Elder Scrolls. Oh, it's going to... I hope, wonder if it has all, like, the mobile games and everything. Do you remember there was a mobile game, either Obsidian or or Mo, or yeah, Morrowind Blades for like early? Fl- no, dude. No, I'm talking for early what? flip phones. Like I'm talking 2009 or 10. T9. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 2009. Like I had a flip phone. I'd open it up. I downloaded the Elder Scrolls game because obviously, and it was a like an isometric Game Boy looking game. Totally unplayable. Like not even re- not even remotely good. And we're talking at a time when phone games had really not progressed past pool. <laughs> like midnight pool was as good as you were getting, right? I wonder if that game is still available to see. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. So um, you're right. The first one was Arena, and that came out in 1994. 96 was Daggerfall. 
2002 was Morrowind, and then 06 was Oblivion, and 11 was, 11 was Skyrim. Wow. So Daggerfall was one of those the first games I came across as a young man that had a huge world. And to me at the time, it was a game where you could quote unquote do anything. Like that's how it felt at the time. And that was before it was like all the rage to make a huge, a huge world. Entirely. This does look awesome, though. Daggerfall, because like I played, I started the Elder Scrolls with Morrowind, and I loved Morrowind. Like I spent so much time in Morrowind. I also spent probably an equal amount of time in, in the Morrowind editor, like the game editor, making I don't know wizards towers and and you went deep, and <laughs> ridiculous thing. <laughs> yeah, I went deep, man. I was I was building my own civilization in this game, but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I never never played Daggerfall. The screenshots look cool though. They look. I can't believe I never found this game in like the late '90s. Wow, it was like spoken about in my friend group with hushed whispers, and like there was there was a series of in- instances of me begging my buddy Dave to like somehow get me a copy, and I think it was in CD days, and I think he eventually burned me a CD, and I think. I think it wouldn't run on my computer properly. It was much later that I actually got to play it. But even watching him play, it was just, I was paralyzed by the wonderment of it. Bunch of real virgins. Bunch of real virgins. <laughs> Hard games. Let me throw one at you. Dwarf Fortress. Ever play it? Dwarf Fortress. So, um, full disclosure, no Dwarf Fortress, but my Dwarf, Come on. My dwarf Fortress was a game called Angband, which is... No. Yes, Angband. Oh, contraire, my mon frere, I not only played Eggband, I've gone into the pits and destroyed Morgoth. No. So, oh, yes. No one's done that, oh, Dan. For, for real, though, like you, you spent that much time with it. Angband was like 80s, 90s. When was Angband out? 80s. It was originally on like Unix, right? And it's for anyone who hasn't doesn't know what we're talking about. Uh, it is the Matrix in the sense that what you're looking on the screen is ASCII characters. Like your character is an at symbol. Uh, normal floor, floor tiles around you are uh, periods. The walls are hash marks of various colors. So every item is or an enemy is represented by a letter. And every time you move, a turn is taken and everything moves. The game is very, very hard. I was ushered into this world by my buddy Alan, who was an English lit major. Uh, he gave me the game and I played it. I'm like, this thing is very hard. He's like, let me show you some things. So some of the tricks are you need to bind a key that targets the closest enemy and fires your your weapon, fires your arrow. Another way to protect items that you want to keep so you don't accidentally destroy them, which is something you can you can like inadvertently <laughs> like throw your sword and it's just gone effectively. Just fighting the UI. Well, there is no UI. But fighting fighting with the, the core mechanics of the game, you're like, I need to get to Morgoth to defeat him. In the meantime, I need to try and not fall on my face, drop my sword, and incinerate because I'm unable to use the keyboard. Absolutely. And you need to recognize when you see a character, and when I say a character, I mean an actual letter or something, that is a slightly different color or slightly one you haven't seen before. So you can look at it and you're like, oh, that's not a salamander. That's an elder red dragon. And I need to go now because it's it's permadeath. And going back to the Matrix thing, the reason why it's exactly like the Matrix, after time, you don't see the code anymore. You see the dungeon. Yeah, there you and go. That's how you that's how you know it's taken you. I played another one um, more recently that's a reskinned um, uh, type, uh, this type of game, and it's called Caves of Cud. It's like Angband oh. or Dwarf Fortress, but it's 
a post-apocalyptic future on a different planet with all the things that come with that bionic limb replacements and energy weapons it is as dope as you can imagine if if you can get past what the game is you know what i mean like if i put like a 10 year old in front of this game he'd be like what is this what are you doing right it's interesting that you say that because like my first experience with an ascii based game was dwarf fortress although dwarf fortress has kind of two incarnations there's dwarf fortress and then there's dwarf fortress rpg okay um, both are, are ASCII in general. Dwarf Fortress RPG is like a procedurally generated world of adventure. And then Dwarf Fortress itself is really more of a civilization simulator, mm. which is extreme, almost n- nearly impenetrable. I think that's one other thing we can mention about, you know, what makes games hard is how hard is it to wrap your brain around the depth of the game? And Dwarf Fortress is one of those games that requires so much external reading and so much time dedicated to trial and error to understand even the basics of what's going on. Like you're building hallways, you're building rooms, you're you know having dwarves cultivate harvests and crops and gardens and go out and explore and get timber and wood. And meanwhile, it's like if Animal Crossing hated you. <laughs> yeah, really. Gen- so you, like you're building this underground fortress, but then all sorts of things happen, right? Like. Trolls can come out and kill everybody internally, and then you got to figure out, what you, am I going to wall off this area like, you know, like a Moria situation or and leave the people inside to die, and now I've got less people to do things. It's really very harsh, and 99% of the time within the first, like, 10 minutes, your entire fortress or your entire civilization has completely failed, right? So very challenging, very punishing game, but for me, 90% of the time when I failed, it's because I had just... No, I'd learned one mechanic every time I played. Yeah. This time I learned how to dig. Oh, this time I learned that we needed food because the last time everyone died of starvation. <laughs> and that's the incremental progress you make in the game. And I imagine once you get to like a level of competency where you can actually just play the game, it's probably not, qu- it's probably still very hard, but it's not quite as murderously hard because you know how to mitigate some of those things. But for someone who's in their first 20 hours of Dwarf Fortress, you're in for some real pain. I like a game that's so hard that because it requires research. And I like a game that's hard in the sense that you're like, am I playing? Am I, am I playing the game yet? Am I Dwarf Fortressing? <laughs> it's hard to tell. Dwarf I, Fortress, I never played the game. I have not played Dwarf Fortress yet because I, I, got, I didn't get past that first like 20 hours. L- literally 20 hours. That's crazy. And I, I think it should be noted that computers themselves used to be an arcane thing that you needed to divine my first computer when you turned it on it's like it's not doing anything i needed to put in a disk to boot it to an operating system that then then needed more commands and the fact that i somehow sleuthed out how to make all the things happen without the internet I have to be convinced that like the six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old version of me is vastly more intelligent than the present version of myself. I've become become soft. Yeah, that kind of late 90s experience of wanting to do something really... Like I wanted to get Diablo 2 running on my computer back in the old days, right? Like all of my friends were playing Diablo 2. I had recently purchased it. And again, you purchase something at that age. It's a big deal. Getting Diablo 2 is like the Christmas present or whatever it is, and it would not run on my computer. And you know that feeling, right? You've got a computer, 
There's no additional computer components or another computer coming. Like that's, it's a non-negotiable. Let me ask you a question because there's a delineation point here because games now uh, you might run them and you're like on a PC and you're like, ah, oh, this is too slow. But computers used to just, if the game, if, if, if you didn't have the resources, the game would just be like, no. <laughs> well, just one more, one more distinction. It would be like, no, four different random errors that could be anything from like, no, the disc is smudged to no, this game requires 750 megabytes of hard drive space. You have 15, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. and it's not really plain. I remember having Diablo 2. You must, you must consult the tomes. Totally. Trying to get that game running took me like a week, you know, like a week of every day playing around with it by myself. Then you have that one uncle who's pretty good at computers. You ask him to come over and he does a, a few things and maybe makes some progress, but doesn't get all the way there. Then, you, then you're upset. You take two days off. Then your buddy comes over and you try it again. And all of a sudden something miraculous happens and you're playing Diablo two, but then it crashes and it won't open again for two more days. That was the nineties, right? That's just how that looked. Well, and I think there's something about being that age and being presented a problem for which the other side is the game that you wanted to play. I think that many IT professionals were born of that challenge. And what, I wouldn't give to somehow like when have you when's the last time you cared about something that much to put that much work into it no. like you were you were unbreakable in your quest you know what I mean oh yeah man I mean I shouldn't say that like those kind of problems and I don't know if it's because that's kind of how we grew up and the, you, you took pleasure in those things right like when you got Diablo 2 working it was a big deal when you figured out the one little arcane detail about the point and click adventure game King's Quest 7 talking to you the arbitrary detail that got you to the next stage felt really good and to the point where even recently my you know you mentioned that and I scoffed but no it's true like I wanted to play Ultima online on my Mac computer, it took me a super long time to figure out how to do that. Wine wrappers and, you know, then you got to get different interfaces to manage the difference between your key inputs and, you know, what the game wants and stuff like that. And it was really satisfying when I got into the game. It felt like, oh, wow, there's, I'm scratching an itch here. And it, I think it was that itch that we just uncovered, the one where you got to figure it out when you're a kid, you know? And I think that's the joy in hard games. The difficulty in the challenge makes that conquest so sweet. Yeah, and it kind of like made me think, you know, why do I enjoy playing easy games? You know, there, there's so um, I've been playing a lot of the new Pokemon game with my daughter. She's absolutely bonkers about it. It's a great game, but it's super easy. Like you could literally roll your face over the controller and beat the game. It's not not difficult, even a little bit. But there's something to that, too. Right. You know, games and, and frankly, if I zoom out, you know, other games, JRPGs I've played recently, like Xeno, oh my God, I can never remember if it's Xeno Gear or Xeno Saga or whatever it is. Not that hard, like pretty straightforward, you know, you can get, but there's something meditative about getting into the flow of beating games like that, especially with the amount of length that most modern titles have, right? It just, it's, it's a curious contrast of what you want when, you know? I know. And that brings me to something I was thinking about and what's come out in the wash here. I have Sekiro on the left, which I'm playing, and then on the right... I have Call of Duty because oh dear I think whenever you're playing a hard game you need an easier game there to just like switch gears because yeah. it it, came, it comes to the point where I can feel the stress and tension within me from getting destroyed by this lightning summoning ninja so many times that I'm like 
I think I need to uh, shoot some people. And whatever happens, happens. If you die, you respawn instantly. Fresh gun, all the bullets. Let's go do it again. You know, and so that that nice. push pull. I think it's important to bring those games in pairs. Yeah, I feel like you're right, Dan. Just so you know, if you Google Angband, there's a site called Refile.org, R-E-P-H-I-A-L. Just literally found it right now. You can download Angband. And you can also download a reskinned version of Angband with like proper graphics. Just saying. Yeah, go for the old school. Don't don't cheat yourself. Go deep into the matrix. <laughs> take the take the blue pill. <laughs> you want to be an ampersand is what you want to be. So I think uh, get at at us at uh, purpledungeonsquid at gmail and let us know about your hard game, the one we didn't mention that you've been shouting into your device because I want to know about it. <laughs> I want to know about it, too. Yeah, man. Let's talk Sekiro. All righty, Dan. So, uh, yeah, man, you've been playing that Sekiro. I think we talked about it plenty in the top half from a difficulty perspective. But, um, yeah, did you like it? Was it good, Dan? Was it good? Sekiro has been taunting me from my shelf for weeks and weeks and weeks, asking me from a distance if I dared, if I had the metal to face it. <laughs> And uh, the truth is, at the beginning, I didn't. Buddy, there's an intensity to you. <laughs> you just, <laughs> you feel disturbed on a, on a spiritual level. My blade was not sharp enough. My reflexes not steeled enough. And when I brought oh, what I had summoned to the table, I was laid low, not by a boss, Andy, but by a mook, by a gentleman with a sword <laughs> that that was willing to challenge me. And that's been my experience is, is the game pulls no punches. Andy, you've played some some Souls-like games, yes? Yeah, I have. And I don't typically get too far in them. Bloodborne, Dark Souls, Demon Souls. Like, I get in there, but I've not beaten one. Well, this game, Sekiro, trades out, dare I say, some of the clunkier uh, neo-gothic feels of, of many of those games or 16th century drab peasantry and castle, which has its own kind of joy to it, for just a beautiful Japanese aesthetic of, I believe, the Edo period, if I'm uh, being accurate. But I'm talking... <laughs> <laughs> Japanese fortresses. Yeah, I like that Sekiro puts you into full virgin mode. Fuck yeah. <laughs> this is great to hear. Keep going, pal. Let's hear it's it. It's happening. What I love about Sekiro and its aesthetic is uh, the graphics are great. Everything is understated and beautiful at the same time. The detail that's there, it doesn't demand you look at it, but when you look at it as a whole, it comes together to just a beautiful world that it's dumped you in. And then it leans that against the murderous intent of everyone around you. And you know how in 80s movies you get to fight every guy individually? You know how that happens? Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. The yeah. opposite of that happens in this game. Oh. <laughs> uh, a dog will be biting you while a swordsman attacks you and an archer shoots at you. And don't worry, that guy up top, the really messed up one wrapped in bandages, he's got a cannon and he's about to end nice. your life. So I like that. And the game focuses on a couple things in combat that I just want to touch on that I love. It has a posture system. And what that means is the more unrelenting your attack is and the better you are counting the, countering their attacks, it wears down their or yours or both of your posture meters and it can sort of break your guard. And when you break their posture meter, you can execute them. So nice. the game dares you to make risky attacks 
to winnow down their numbers such that you can de deliver a very satisfying killing blow. Otherwise, you may get locked into a cautious prolonged combat, which is going to wear you down and eventually end in your defeat. So, Dan, do you know, uh, do you know how you improve your posture? Uh, is, it, is it sitting up straight? It's uh, slightly adjusting your rearview mirror so that you're forced to sit erect. Speaking of virgins... <laughs> uh, dying a fire. No, and so the game while punishing, it does sort of walk you up to different challenges uh, while introducing new skills. There's a really great in-game narrative way to to sort of practice and there's there's this guy who is a zombie essentially he's undying when you first meet him he's like i wonder if you can kill me and he fights you and you run him through and he's like nope that didn't do it well if you ever want to practice any of your techniques come back to me and we'll practice them and so you can pick techniques out of a drop down and and he'll help you master them so there is a kindness in the game <laughs> That's a, that's a hell of a training system, Mr. Pincushion. I wonder if you ever get to kill this guy. Like, I, like I in the end, you come back the with the magic sword and behead him, and his like, severed head is like, thanks for doing me a solid. I feel like that's that's what needs to happen. It would be the obvious choice. Uh, did you ever play Tenchu, Stealth Assassin, my dude? No, You know what, man? I have played almost no Japanese ninja games. Tenchu, oh, Jesus, what was the one you just said? Ninja Gaiden, now Sekiro. I've got a, a decided lack of katana in my life. I feel you. Well, I'll lend you uh, Tenchu for the PS2. A focus on stealth is what they have in common. If you sneaky sneak properly, you can run someone through with that eviscerating attack, that instant kill, um, sometimes when he's alone, sometimes to the horror of his friends that are standing around. This is key to getting past certain points, especially early in the game before you've unlocked certain skills uh, to victory. It also features one of the better things in Tenchu, which is a grappling hook. You right. think you can cook? I got a grappling hook. So that <laughs> helps you get around. And it emphasizes in this game, mobility is everything. And you're sort of the lord of the skies until you find the crow men, which... This guy, Andy, he's he's up in a kite, way, way, way up in a kite, just obscuring the sun. You see a little square on a that's floating in the air, and it's tied to the castle from a long, long rope. And you're like, what's that? And then you hear something, and then this crow man rockets towards you through the sky. I'm talking 400 feet, screaming as you come, and he's like, oh, oh he's not coming for me, is he? Oh, he's coming straight for me? Oh, it's an undodgeable, unblockable attack. Like it, 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 it summoned a fear and shock in me that a game doesn't often do. <laughs> this is a fucking nightmare fuel, Dan. Like this is do not play this game high. Oh, you can't, buddy. You can't. In my opinion, this attack is the thing of legends. That's what I love about Sekiro. It will keep rolling surprises at you uh, that it the new enemy types roll out, and there's a genuine fear when you roll into a boss. And I, I challenge you. To not look up the boss before you fight them. Fight them a couple times with nothing else. And you feel that trepidation of, how is this motherfucker going to ruin my life? And then he will. He'll do it. Or she, to be honest with you. And the thing that keeps the constant tension in Sekiro ratcheted up. Because while uh, part of the uh, lore is uh, you've been exposed to the blood of, uh, help me, the nobles... Uh, that uh, the dragon child, which will keep you sort of resurrecting, it starts to give you something called dragon rot that starts to hinder your progress. It 
makes it so you're less likely to be resurrected with all your experience and things like that. And it'll start to build up. And while there's mechanics to deal with that, it means that every death you feel like you're being pushed closer to a, a cliff's edge. So shadows die twice. Does that mean you can like die multiple times? Yeah. So there is a, a resurrection method where you can, you build up a little orb that then if you're laid low, you can resurrect yourself, which is the shadows die twice thing. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It, it, it puts a ray of sunshine in an otherwise punishing game. Cause if it didn't have, have it, I think you'd be getting reset to the beginning of a level far too often. Um, so I, I do think it helps gameplay without you feeling like, oh, this is something extra that's being given to me. It makes the game, quote unquote, easier. It makes the game, uh, shall we say, playable. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like an interesting game, dude. So like, it sounds like combat feels pretty similar to you know a, a soul style game is it, it remarkably different in any way other than the posture kind of the posture thing sounds neat so here's the thing when i'm playing a souls like game i feel like a lot of the fights i'm like panicking rolling blocking i'm like really scrambling whereas in this game i feel like i am exercising expert timing if you're the type of person that likes to get really good at a game and feels like you're exacting in the way you play it and that high level like performance excites you this is the game for you it's it's a little less blundering than at least the way i end up playing a lot of the souls like games i i feel much more embodied with the samurais yes souls is souls is definitely like like slower right you know pretty challenging to even get a quick weapon in that game do you know what i mean it doesn't have there's not really like a fast attack even if you have whatever dual swords or whatever the the fast attack option is it still feels slow the game itself feels slow right and there's no stamina in this game so it's not like souls like where you're like sorry you swang your sword twice so you can't block now and right you're, you died that i get the why that's there but i i never loved that mechanic um and because it informs the way you play to be a little bit stuttering do you know what i mean and like slows down that combat. Well, you know, personally, I think it makes time. It just, it's an interesting play on timing, right? Like timing can be fully flow reactionary, how I imagine, you know, this game is, you know, you're, you're reacting quickly, but can also be like, oh, if I have to time and pace, you know, my attacks as in a Souls game, that's interesting too, especially if you've got like a big, you know, pole arm or two-handed weapon or something that you're swinging. And if you mistime it, you not only miss, but now you're exposed for like three seconds. I think that's interesting. It doesn't feel that good though. It is. It is interesting. I think it, it, it requires you to be more tact full in your attacking, whereas this game really leverages that risk reward and encourages you to do an all-out attack at your own peril. Right. And there is a joy in having an enemy type that really just eviscerated you in front of your friends and family to handling him thoroughly because you understand what he's going to do and his strategies and you have a counter for it. It is uniquely satisfying in this game. It's something that I don't think you you find. And you can see the care that went into the design of the battle system really speak clearly and what makes it for me like a game of the year type contender it's in that those hallowed halls oh nice so are you um are you thinking is you're gonna beat this guy it's asking a lot but i'm gonna try yeah and it has a storyline like any anything of note or just like a whatever go play it's good it's great it's great. Yeah, the story's the story's really good. Uh, I've left it on the Japanese with subtitles, and that really helps me get into the zone. 
Um, everybody's speaking with an awesome Japanese accent, speaking Japanese, obviously, and it, it works for me completely. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah I'd love to, uh, love to be able to tuck into that. Put it on Switch. <laughs> speaking of which, The Witcher on Switch has really been grinding. You have no chance. No, no, no. Yeah, there's no chance of that. Like The Witcher on Switch has actually been grating on me recently. Um, just, I don't know. It's, it's really tough to play in handheld mode. I'm starting to find it's just, it's, it's so much game to play yeah. like mobile on a very small screen. And also it's like really bright. Surprisingly, oh. like, it's just a re- yeah, it's really bright on. So I, I like it. I just, it's tough to get into that world uh, on switch as opposed to like, again, bringing back breath of the wild. It just, it feels more native. I guess it's more simple and easy to look at than the witcher which feels like it's got so much going on for some reason uh switcher never was like a non-starter for me i just sensed it in my bones this isn't a game i can play on this platform it's too much like you say and maybe that's because i've only played it on pc and ps4 and that's sort of like my native homeland that's that's my vibe on it too and i'm sure some people love it yeah well sekiro sounds neat man i uh i definitely you know i'm i'm peaked at the uh, at the game you know i myself like i mentioned have been playing almost exclusively pokemon with my five-year-old and she's absolutely loving it unfortunately it's it's not blaze and play time it's not not that kind of time right Uh, so yeah so you know that game's been getting a lot of air time for me it's great at what it is uh Uh, you know and i understand that like later in the game if you want to get more into it you can play the competitive side of it which is you know certainly a lot more challenging especially because you're playing on the internet against other people like there's a definitely another game there yeah Um, but but the core game is the exact opposite of sekiro right it's like it's you're you're waltzing down a garden path and and mashing the a button is, is really all i can say oh that looks cool I'm going to do that. And then you just do it. You know what I and mean? Some, sometimes you need a game that's like a warm bath. Like there's a place for that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Speaking well. of that, I, I have to say, Andy, come over to my place. I'll make you a nice, nice steak dinner. I'll start you a new save file. I would actually really like to watch you play Sekiro a little bit. I think I'd get a lot out of that. You'd love that, eh? I think I'd really like that. Yeah. Well, all right. As soon as this uh, social distancing thing happens. Like, I would, but social distancing, you know? I I think you're deeply afraid, and you should be. (laughs) Very good. I'm so afraid that I've pretty much, um, like, I've been traveling quite a bit recently. So, apart from the Switch, which has been just rotation of older games, again, why do I keep, I cannot differentiate between Xenogears and Xenosaga. Xenoblade, for the love of God, it's Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I've played easily 35 40 hours of this game and still cannot remember the damn title video game podcasters guys <laughs> only yeah, the yeah. best oh, here yeah. only the best here <laughs> but um you know apart from kind of going through that rotation i also downloaded some mobile games i normally don't talk about mobile games except for when i talk about them like right now mm-hmm. uh, but two things mahjong soul mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're you're gonna get, you get 30 seconds of mahjong here yep if you've ever wanted to learn how to play Mahjong, download Mahjong Soul now because it has easily like the greatest tutorial for learning how to play Richie Mahjong, which is a very complicated game, but also extremely good and makes me want to buy a Mahjong set, which certainly I've never wanted to do before. The only problem with Mahjong Soul is it's a deeply great teacher of Mahjong with a fantastic AI. Uh-oh, you're bearing the lead. But the game is... 100% skinned with 
chesty anime girls. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the entire game is a bunch of anime girls, and I don't mm-hmm. like. I wanted to play Mahjong, and I was like, best Mahjong game. Yep. And reading a thread in uh, in Reddit, again, this gentleman waxed poetic for like six paragraphs about how he learned how to play Mahjong from Mahjong. So- Somebody's waxed. Yeah, he waxed. <laughs> but exactly. And so I get into this thing. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. There's a lot of women in this mm-hmm. Mahjong game. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the plane. I've downloaded it the night before, uh-huh. went to bed, woke up at 4 a.m., went to the airport. I'm on the plane before we get into the air. And I'm playing this game, and like the dude next to me is looking over at my phone, like with his eyebrows up, like, really, man? <laughs> what in the hell are you doing over here? He's doing his civic duty, preparing you to report you for the authorities. Andy, uh, how much would you say uh, these young ladies, and they, I assume they are on the younger side, is that correct? No, stop, man. Okay, Don't go I there. mean, like, Come like on. you know. You know, uh, and how I'm a father have... of two young ladies, man. Get, get, get uh, uh, out of here with that. You have children. We're talking about women here. Let's not get that. Hey, we are. We are talking about uh, women. So that's how my much answer. would you say they're blushing a lot? Oh, it's buddy. It's just egregious. It's bad. Uh, it's uh, bad. There's bosoms. Is, the things it's you can a... get from the Nintendo store. There was a buddy. time where if it said Nintendo, you could seat Everyone from your extended family, your principal, your pastor, the neighbors from next door down, and uh, wholesomeness was guaranteed. No longer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad. And um, the voices are really bewildered. You know, they just... Every bad anime girl trope you can put in your brain is what Mahjong Soul is. That being said, uh-huh. great way to learn Mahjong. Great Mahjong. And great Mahjong. A, a, a deep shame. Deep shame. Deep shame. Great Mahjong. So the Andy, other game- I, sorry, as, as soon as you win, um, they disrobe or? No. Well. They don't. A little? You unlock new characters who are more disrobed than the I early see. ones. That's kind of the, that's your rating scale of. The less clothes you have, the more of a Mahjong master you've become. <laughs> Why do you think they have it so when... Um, I'm learning a lot about this man in the Reddit thread now that I've kind of unfurled yeah, this whole let's thing. Not, let's not check out what Reddit thread we're talking about. Um, why are uh, they confused when sexy things happened? What is that a thing? I don't... Yeah. Boy. Boy, boy, boy. Uh, the other game I downloaded, um, way better. I shouldn't say better. like Less I, problematic. But, Less problematic. I can open it on an airplane. Don't don't get me wrong. I play Mahjong Soul when I am by myself, um, <laughs> but I'm not playing that on an airplane again. Uh, I did download Dragalia Lost. Have you heard of Dragalia? No. So Dragalia Lost is a really interesting game. It's what they call, and I don't want to mess this up, Dan, but a gotcha game, and it sounds like gotcha, gotcha, which is which is kind of because it's so basically a gotcha game is a game with you know, uh, a bunch of characters, random characters to collect. I can put it this way. It's an anime-themed game with a a large amount of levels. And you go into these levels, and they're like bite-sized Diablo dungeons, Mm -hmm. right? And you get a party of about four people, Mm -hmm. and you're doing a lot of, like, uh, swipe gestures and clicking on buttons to execute, like, fun attacks. Okay. And you can power those, those characters up. You can reorganize them. And, you know, there's elemental bonuses to defeating enemies. There's actually a really good story that kind of leads you along. Really neat character design. 
actually very in-depth character interaction. You can get a lot, there's a lot of, a lot of story written into this game and it feels very much like a Nintendo title because it's actually very fleshed out, right? Like the game itself does not feel like, you know, a Skinner's box from, you know, whatever, Ten cent or something. What's a Skinner's box? He said flesh. Then he said Skinner's box, and now I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, no, no, no. Skinner's box is just like a you know an endless grind to get the next thing without any actual merit in gameplay. That's really fun. This is actually a fun game. It's a it's a good game. Roger that. Yeah. So you know, and it's got a little bit of a like a like a town builder simulator in there, which just kind of provides some passive benefits and really cool mobile game. I don't play a lot of mobile games. This one is really neat, like definitely worth checking out. And it, what is it called again? It's called Dragalia Lost. Do you end up with like a huge cast of heroes that you can like mix and match? You do. You end up, there's I like a, an enormous, and like they, they do crossovers. Like for example, they did a Monster Hunter crossover recently where there's some characters from Monster Hunter you can bring over. Um, I think they did a Fire Emblem crossover at some point, but don't don't quote me on that. Yeah, I mean, in general, there's also a thriving endgame. You get to the endgame and there's dungeons and challenges that you can do with friends. You can, you know, invite friends to an instance and kind of do bosses and stuff like that. Exactly. Very cool, actually. Like, like I was kind of blown away with how good this game is, um, especially considering. So because it's a gacha game and it's free to play, you assume you're going Uh-oh. to get absolutely pilfered. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay. This is going to be fun for five minutes and then bend me over. But no, actually, super easy to play this whole game without spending a penny, really. Nice. Very gentle monetization on this very in-depth, constantly updated free-to-play game under the Nintendo banner. So I feel like that's helping it for sure. And uh, and yeah, it's been going for a good long while. I think it's about a year and a half in. So by all accounts, you know, the, the monetization is very gentle and you do not need to participate in it to have fun in this thing. So... I would recommend you check it out. Dragalia Lost. It's a big download, though. It's like three gigs. So make sure you've got like a, yeah, you got to have like a solid amount of memory on your iPhone. So do that. Right, right, right. Um, Question. Do you run out of like chrono stones or stuff when you play and you have to wait? Um, I think there's a stamina function. Sure. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. there is that. Um, But it's not a, it's not like it's insanely aggressive or anything. Like it's just, it's something that stops you from playing 24 hours a day. It's, it's not like I've never bumped up against it. I've played it. And uh, the dungeons, at least as far in the game as I am, which is, you know, admittedly only maybe seven or eight hours, but they're not, um, they're bite-sized. So you can go in, if you've got 15 minutes and you're sitting down, like you can get in there and, and play a couple, play a couple dungeons and like jump out and it's not a thing, you know, it's not a problem. All right. Good pitch. That's, that's actually went better than I thought it could have. Yeah. Dragalia lost pal. Go give her uh go give her a, a hang down. What? What's a hang down? A, a, a hig, a hig boozle. A, a Jim Flaggle. Get get the old Johnson rod in there. All right, two drops of Ratson. Yes, sir. Do you want do you want to talk about any more games, or you want to just head over to the smoke sesh? Oh, we could talk about other games. I'm playing Stellaris. Maybe I'll save that for another game, or another Ooh. day. Yeah, I it's want to f- talk about that one. But yeah, maybe it, next episode. Another time. So there's a little there's a little taster. Stellaris is coming. I really want to talk about that one. All right, I think that means. We're going on to the bong. Yeah, let's go. Boop. Smoke sesh. Dan, 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 Dan. 
Dan Smoke Sesh Man. Oh, that's me. Yeah, man. Well, let's let's get your uh, let's get your smoke sesh on, pal. I'm sorry to hear that you've been uh, a little anxious this week. Hopefully this 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 helps you out. What are you what are you smoking on this week? You know, it's not so much anxiety. I just you notice I think with what's going on, we're all monitoring like our physical symptoms a little bit more. Yeah. That like ache or that 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 scratchy throat that you would have ignored before becomes this sort of insidious voice. Maybe you should go get checked. For for, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I heard a little dry cough there, Andy. What's this? What's the code, Dan? It's no, oh, no, bummers. no bummers. No, no bummers. bummers. No, no, That's no right. bummers. So, buddy, today I'm smoking something that I got completely from a legal source, a dispensary that, that y- you may or may not have pointed me towards. Uh, Apollo 13. Oh, okay. By who? <laughs> Uh, one of those things is true. Uh-huh. That I said. Yeah, there you go. There so you go. Um, th- these are some mystery nugs that were handed to me from on high. And uh, so part of the, the new beautiful run of strains I got. And so Apollo 13 is not something I had smoked before. I have to say it's quite pleasant. Just smelling it. Very herbal, very peppery. It's got that pine in there. Nice. It's these tight little nugs. You know, about the size of a marble, your your small guy marble. But in that, there's some baked in beautiful brown hairs and cakiness that just instructs you that it's going to be great. The peppery is kind of mild. It's not some of that sharp pepper that you can get. That caryophylline um, mm-hmm. can be a little bit sharper. It's a little bit more mute. Uh, in its presentation. Interesting. And while I grind this up, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Apollo 13. Yeah, so I just jumped onto Leafly to take a look at Apollo 13. Uh, it seems as if it was originally bred by Brothers Grimm Seeds. So I don't um, I don't know necessarily much about these folks, but uh, they're based out of Colorado, and they, they breed uh, Princess Haze, Cinderella 99. Uh, looks like Apollo is definitely one of their uh, one of their cornerstone strains. And Mr. Soul is the is the gentleman who um, the alias, I guess, that uh, that that started Brothers Grimm back in 1996. And they had some sort of connection with a, re- a reseller called Heaven Stairway here in Canada. So maybe that's how those genetics made their way north of the border here. Dan, what do you think? I think it's possible. So this guy is a downstream cousin of Jack Herer, and the legend has it that from the original. Uh, stock only 500 seeds came from from the original batch and only a few cuttings were extracted so the longest time it was sort of the stuff of legends it's so funny man i've just been listening to a lot of um a lot of breeder talk like i I, you know uh the adam dunn show has a lot of breeders on um you know guys who have literally been breeding genetics for 25 years right and it's it's amazing how during the time of prohibition which is still technically going on in the united states right now but during the time of extreme prohibition you know how all of these plants have lived on as cuttings that were you know given to friends especially as people do jail time and they give their plants to a friend in another state who cares for them and does a couple cuttings and then suddenly it's spread to another state and you know there's just a really an amazing I'm so interested in the heritage you know of these plants and and you know kind of their their stewardship over the years so yeah Brothers Grimm has been doing this since 96 and um you know, went away for a really long time between 02 and 05 due to security concerns. So, um, you know, you can kind of, 
extrapolate what that might mean. What does that mean, Andy? Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, again, back in back in Colorado, so they're 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 back in the Cinderella and Apollo lines of cultivar are, you know, their uh, their corner, cornerstone. So Apollo thirteen that you have specifically is a very pungent, very skunky uh, Jack Herrera. Um, cross so it was uh genius which is a jack herrera fino crossed with p75 haven't heard of p75 before this is a sativa dominant hybrid yeah I, I'm, I'm curious to uh curious to see how this goes for you this is a uh, mercine dominant i want to say mercine a little bit of is that caryophylline 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 you prick whatever you want to say right, yeah caryophylline uh, caryophylline and pinene yep let me let me take the flame to the business Peppery, earthy, sour fruit and citrus. Herbal notes of tea with a skunky aftertaste. As its name suggests, this strain will have your head in the clouds as its effects are cerebral and energizing. It's so weird. I've never tasted that sort of tea in the mix and it's totally there. Like the after the after effects is like the rising herbal pepperiness into the top of your head, like into your nasal cavity. But nice. across the tongue, it's like tea that's, oh, that's bizarre beautiful. that's awesome man i was not uh, expecting that yeah is it how's the the flavor on the exhale <clears throat> it's really clean it's i couldn't go as far to say it's it's fresh like you get from some of the the pine brothers out there but it is it's very mild and and easy on the exhale and nice. inoffensive a lot of this information by the way from leafly as usual but um you know a little bit uh, a little bit from the brothersgrimseeds.com uh, as well but uh what's interesting is there's the the more popular more popular version of this apollo 13 strain is sativa dominant there is also an indica dominant version out there as well so i'm curious which one you've got my friend yeah it's hard to say uh initial effects i'm gonna say sativa okay just because I, I feel it in the top of my forehead um and in the front of my face not so much over the shoulders in the body but time will tell if that holds true yeah so are they like dense tight small little popcorny nugs they are mm, maybe indica my friend maybe indica possible you know. Who knows? I mean, it's so hard to tell with hybrids, right? You just, you know, I know Aurora here in Canada does a Blue Dream, and the Blue Dream is, you know, smaller, tighter nugs, even though generally speaking, Blue Dream is a sativa dominant hybrid. Definitely something more indica dominant about their Blue Dream because um, sedating effect all over the place on that strain. Uh, today, I've got some Jaeger OG. And this is by Top Leaf here in Canada. Um, actually, this is a vape pen. So um, this is their Jaeger OG distilled down into vapey goodness. And I'm going to go ahead and give it a puff here. What's interesting about vape carts, though, is you can actually put your nose up. And if the you know if there's the the, the terps have been reintroduced in the process there, I, I actually don't know the process they used to for over extraction, but very clear that the terpenes are. Damn strong, damn strong in this extract. You can smell it through the top of the cart. So that's uh, not messing around. No, not messing around at all. And it's it's exactly what you would expect from something called Jaeger OG. Faintly sweet, but like you know, definitely that Jaegermeister kind of herbaceous herbal smell. I've not seen flower from Jaeger OG. Like I, I've not seen a Jaeger OG flower before. I've not smelled a flower before. But if it smells anything like this really intoxicatingly delicious like just i want to i want to eat it up there's a little saltiness there on my nose too which is interesting also right could that be from the distillate i don't know um you know typically if you smell like saltiness or pepperiness not pepperiness sorry it's saltiness if you smell saltiness in your plant 
uh, matter in your dried herb. It can be uh, a sign that flushing wasn't done properly, right? Mm. Out of a cart. Don't think that that would be the case. Yeah, just, a, just it's just a savory. I think a savory is what I want to get at here. It's a savory, licorice herbal smell. Really, really nice. Really nice. I'm going to go ahead and give it a vape here, Dan, if you want to read about Jaeger OG. Absolutely. Straight from the source in its purest form, this Oregon crafted strain was a resulting phenotype of Hindu Kush crossed with Hindu Kush. Widely reputed for its relaxing and pain relieving effects on the body, this is a choice strain for individuals seeking medicinal effects from cannabis. Named after oh. the dark alcoholic beverage from Germany, J, uh, it says JGR, but I guess that's Jaeger, is an mm -hmm. indica dominant strain with a tinge of black licorice in its aroma. Little mm -hmm. is known about the genetics, but rumor has placed Jaeger somewhere in the Hindu Kush genealogy or cross of LA Confidential and Blue Dream. Some also suspect it was bred and popularized in Southern Oregon. As stupefying as the name makes it out to be, Jaeger's full body effects are better described as relaxing than sedating. Straight from our friends at Leafly.com. Nice. Yeah, man. Um, Top Leaf, I'm a big fan of. Top Leaf was a black market brand here in Canada prior to legalization that got acquired by uh, Sundial out in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they started in the Slocan Valley in BC, not hundred percent sure where that is, but that's where they originated from. Um, they had a hit called sweet Jesus, which, uh, I never personally got my hands on in, you know, um, pre-legalization days, but, uh, was out there for sure. And it's a favorite. And I think they're bringing it back to market as sweet J. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to try that out when, uh, when it comes back, but, um, yeah, I mean, relaxing is a, is a really great way to put it. I'm feeling very good after just two little tokes off this Jaeger OG. And not really cloudy, like not a, not a head high. I mean, I shouldn't say not a head high, but like not a cloudy high. Very clear, just relaxing. It's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great statement. Leafly, correct again. Nice. So, Daniel, um, what's interesting about your Apollo 13 is as we were searching around for that... What is it, National Celebrate Space Exploration Day? Did you know that, that was a thing? Did you know that there's a day for celebrating space exploration? There's a day for everything. There, <laughs> there's a day to give the thumbs up to uh, your local garbage uh, disposal man. There's a day to high five your secretary. There's a day for everything. Nice. Well, apparently July 20th is that day. And Leafly actually put together, a, put together a post back on July 20th, 2016 for cannabis strains to celebrate space exploration. And I thought it was an interesting thing to talk about today because we're all stuck inside. <laughs> And would probably rather be, uh, you know, rather be exploring the universe. So it's just it's it's kind of interesting, you know, with cannabis's connotation of expanding your mind to the stars and so many so many cannabis, whether they be accessories, cannabis culture, T-shirts and posters and stuff. You got a lot of astronauts, Dan. Have you noticed? Ever noticed that? Yeah, lots of astronauts, lots of nebula. Yeah, <laughs> very very astronaut heavy. Snoop 
has like like a rocket ship glass bong, yeah? Yeah, man. Snoop uh, Snoop named all of his recording studios after like a rocket ship, a spaceship, a mothership. Like there's there's a lot of space going on in the in the weed world. AF um sorry, what's it called? Pulsar. Pulsar also does uh, a really cool uh, APX vaporizer with a astronaut on it, which I thought was really neat. There's a lot of that going around. Anyway, so there are quite a few strains as you might imagine that have been named after spacey things. And some I just want to share some of them that Leafly shared here. So there's one literally called Outer Space, and it's a sativa, which sounds sounds pretty interesting. Have you run across this in the wild? Or? What is it called again? Outer Space. Oh, I have not. <laughs> so it's a cross between Island Sweet Skunk and Trinity. I've never heard of Trinity before, but citrusy, strong, flavorful smoke, great as a daytime medicine. But the idea of uh, the idea of smoking outer space just tickles me a little bit. There's also Stephen Hawking Cush. Ooh, have you heard of Stephen Hawking Cush? I have not, but I think it probably renders you unable to speak. Oh, dude, no. Contrary to that, it's an 11.4 percent CBD strain, heavy CBD from. Uh, from Stephen Hawking Kush. Got you. Went the other yeah. way with it. Went the other way with it, pal. They celebrated the relaxing introspection of Stephen Hawking as opposed to whatever whatever vector you were on there for Moving right along. Moving right Andy, along. Andy, have you ever smoked on Sputnik? I have not smoked on Sputnik. Have you smoked on Sputnik? I have not. And Sputnik, of course, the rocket that was used by the Soviet Union to perform the world's first satellite launch in 1957. Strain-wise, the spunky Sputnik sativa, say that three times fast, has hints go. of sour and diesel, perhaps from that rocket boost of uplifting effects you may experience two hits to lift off is what they say <laughs> that's pretty good among some of the other ones are nebula cosmic collision which sounds delightful by the way cosmic it collision does. is uh oh i'm curious cosmic collision is bred by mtg seeds not sure who those folks are i will look them up but cosmic charlie and pina collision which sound like two pretty uh, nifty strains tropical medley of pineapple and kiwi uh, uplifting and euphoric the pineapple mm-hmm. kiwi flavor sounds nice mm-hmm. the little uh little sativa dominant strain there yeah, man. Um, so let's earmark National Space Day or Space Exploration Day. Maybe we'll smoke these all on the same day and really explore space. Celebrate properly this German holiday. Andy, you mentioned a pulsar. Did you know a pulsar is a highly magnetized rotating neutron star that emits beams of electromagnetic radiation out of its poles? Full virgin. Full, full on virgin. Furthermore, recently... There is an object they found in space called the West Lafayette, and it is an object that is spinning 3 billion revolutions per minute. What? Like, what could that, how big is this object? Um, I will tell you, sir. The West Lafayette? What is it? Like, as a, just an object in space? Yeah, I believe it's a planetoid, but let me just, uh, let me get that, that real real with you. I got to go to a site that ends in edu. That's how you know oh boy. it means business. So it's funny because I I, uh, I typed in West Lafayette, and that's just a place in Indiana. Yeah, so that's everything that's going on here is about Indiana. So instead of googling West Lafayette, I have to Google West Lafayette space. <laughs> space. The final Thanks. frontier. And it's still not there, pal. All I got is some retail spaces for lease. The fastest spinning object. Oh, this is not what I wanted. 
this is not what I wanted. There was another thing. We're going to take this like it was fresh and it's going to be great. It's going to be better. Uh, that's still really fast, but there was recently a discovery in space because I believe it was a pulsar. Boy, this, uh, yep, fastest spinning object in the world. This this comment that I've made is hit a, fa- a fucking brick wall so hard. <laughs> that's amazing. It's like, it was something I'm so excited about. And then the generality broad strokes is they found a thing that's spin- spinning really fast. But okay, here we go. But now it's on November 20th, 2011. I got to cut all this horse shit. Oh, yeah. Well, good for finding things, Dan. Good for finding things. And and back here on Earth in March 2020, uh, before we wrap this up, Dan, there's a few games coming out this month. I I mean, it's already the 20th of March, so uh, or 19th of March, so most of these are are out already, frankly. Um, Did you you dive back into the Division 2? I know the new expansion, Warlords of New York, came out earlier this month. You were a Division 2 fan for a while, so. I was wandering back there, and then Call of Duty grabbed me by the nose and said, we just made this thing called Warzone, it's like every other Battle Royale game you've played smashed together, but better. Only in the world of video games, specifically Battle Royale, nobody bats an eye when you steal everybody else's stuff. The ping system um, from Apex Legend, as well as the like calling fallen players back in, as uh, as well as many other mechanics that they like. Nobody screams plagiarism. Like it's like when Carlos Mencia was stealing everybody's jokes, and his fans were like saying, "But he did it better." He does that joke better. <laughs> and in this case, it's the best argument for Warzone. It does it does everything really, really well, and it sort of distracted me from the division. They have this one mechanic I got to mention. It's called the Gulag. So when you die the first time, you are... Sorry, this ca- is in the division, or this is in Call of Duty? War- Call of Duty Warzone. You are right. uh, captured and dragged off to the Gulag in a, in a quick cutscene, and then you have to fight in like a, a cage match uh, an abandoned sort of shower area in the bottom of a prison, a gulag, and whoever, and it's another person that's died in the battle royale, and you're given like a pistol, and whoever wins that match is put back into the game, and the other person's out. Love that's, it. That's pretty good. It's Love pretty good. It. Pretty good. But no, yeah. I haven't got back to the division two. To Will you? Do you think? Do you think you'll go back? Uh, I like might. hot hot take right now. Division two or Destiny two? I'm not playing either. So no, I know. But what would you if you had to? Mm, I probably played Division. I probably would. Okay, interesting. I, I didn't expect you to go that direction. I don't know. what's keeping me away from Destiny. Maybe it's just because I've gone so long and I feel like I'm behind behind the curve. Uh, you know, not a lot has changed. I think other than some content type stuff, and I feel like the only thing that, that would I would have to do is learn all the end game stuff. And that's sometimes the learning is not the exciting part. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that, man. I get that. You know, something keeps me out of Destiny 2. And I think of it often. You know, I I think of going back to Destiny 2. I really do enjoy the aesthetic of that game. Mm. Um, I like what it stands for. It just there's something something feels like been there, done that about it. Yeah. You know, when I think about playing it is it is as if I played it and that's enough. Yeah. Well, that's a glowing <laughs> endorsement. Doesn't put any more money in Bungie's pocket, but <laughs> it doesn't. And they're good no. men and women. Yeah. Well, uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team uh, came out on March sixth. Um, there's a high probability that you picked that up. Yes. People are not stoked about this game. I, I heard they were not pleased about how it actually got rolled out there. There's some no issues. Way. Yeah, I was seeing oh. a little IGN article, and I mean, I wasn't going to play it anyway. So whatever, whatever. Um, it seems to have reasonable like. 
Oh, GameStop yeah. gave it a good review. <laughs> oh, buy our game. <laughs> buy it too. <laughs> Nothing under an 8.0, Andy. Oh, God alive. Game Rant. Near perfect overhaul of the classic dungeon crawling experience from GameRant.com. I don't so know, maybe, Dan. So maybe I'm incorrect. That's just what I heard through through my, my sources. Hey, let's talk about Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Sure, you go right ahead. It's a sequel to another Ori game, and people have been people love the original, and people have just been ranting about this one. Xbox, PC, exclusive, just like a mystical platformer that is both extremely challenging and cute and beautiful from everything I've seen. So totally worth a check out. Nice. Yeah, no, I've not uh, not heard of it, but um, you know, seems interesting. MLB The Show 20. So I would probably in good conscience, because I want to buy this, Dan, and I want to spend some more time with baseball this year. Although baseball has been pushed, obviously, given the current scenario. Still holding out hope that maybe we get baseball this year. But Not a lot of touching in baseball. The most aggressive touching is like the least touching you can touch anything. It's called a tag. Yeah, it's more more to do with like needing to put people in a stadium, I think, is the issue. Yeah, that's that, I'm just saying baseball, the least touching. It's not like basketball where you're like, I'm going to touch this ball and you're going to touch this ball and you'll pass him, he touch it too. Then we're going to jump up into each other. <laughs> basketball. Summed up by Dank Dan. In order to buy MLB The Show 20... Sorry, actually. Now I have to uncover for myself. Has MLB The Show 20 come out yet? March 13th, dog. No, but like because of the present... No, they'll roll it out. The games don't stop. The movies stop. The games don't stop. Right, sure. So this could be the one year where MLB The Show 20 is the only baseball that's happening. Oh, wow. We could be playing the 2020 baseball season strictly through MLB The Show. It's either that or the the games happen with no audience. And that, for like a player on the field, will be the weirdest, creepy, surreal experience. But well, hold on a second. But if you take away the fan experience, like if you take away the, um, let's call it the home team advantage, yeah, does that, that probably significantly changes the way baseball is played. You're 100% right. But let me finish my point, which is good. <laughs> Can you imagine that ball coming across at you, cresting the plate, and you just dummy it. And there's three guys on base, and it sails into the bleachers. And you look out for the cheering of the crowd to celebrate your grand slam and it's just empty Ugh. that that feels like a stress nightmare a baseball no player bummers, Dan. <laughs> no bummers that's a uh, that's a hot bummer let's put that one out there did you just um, say a hot bummer Oh, it's unfortunately the episode title. Super unfortunate. Oh, can we? Yes, unfortunate. (laughs) Super unfortunate. Um, In order to buy MLB The Show 20, I would probably need to take MLB The Show 19 out of its wrapping. Out of its wrapper, yeah. The collector's edition. Just open. I'm wearing the hat. I'm wearing the oh, hat. Nice. I've worn the right. worn the hat that came with it. Great nice. hat. Well, there you go. Really You're getting your, your $115 value, Dan. Well Shush. Done. Shush. Uh, Doom and Doom Eternal coming out tomorrow, Big Papa. Yeah. Uh, just on the collector's edition thing, edition thing quickly, I also spent about $150 on Monster Hunter World, and that was the Monster Hunter that I played the least, not because it was bad, just because it was too much traveling, and I ended up playing Monster Hunter Ultimate on my, on my Switch more. But that collector's edition box currently holds a lot of weed paraphernalia. So I like totally put it like to it's use. a it's a big two and a half foot by one foot box. Yeah. Got a lot of weed stuff in there. I gotta interject. 
so I, I played Final Fantasy VII demo. I loved it. Not sure about the combat yet. I haven't got the combat. I haven't quite figured out the strategy. The reason why I bring it up is right when you beat the demo, it doesn't say, would you like to buy the game or go to the store? It's like, did you want to buy the standard edition or the special edition? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, obviously, the special. Dude, everybody's going to buy the special edition of the mm, Final Fantasy VII re-release. Mm, I don't know about this because I'm like, okay, let me check out what the special edition has on it. The digital exclusive. And they want... The, so here's... I'll tell you what they, they're giving you first. Uh, the game. Two summons that are like kind of fun extra summons. It was like Cactar and Moogle or something like that. Like some type of thing like that. And then digital access to some pictures. Nice. And nothing else. No. And they want $110. There's got to be a physical collector's edition, which is there what must you, be. What yeah, you like want. digital collector? I don't even understand. You get two free two summons for sixty dollars. No, no way. But like the physical collector's edition for Final Fantasy VII re-release? Heck yeah, I'm gonna buy that. Hundred percent, I will. I, I wonder what excellence is gonna be there. That would be something I might put some money down for. Dude, if you do not like, if you do not throw the art book in there, some like super nostalgic behind the scenes stuff, a collectible figure, uh, you know, a CD soundtrack, a remix of the soundtrack with Enya or something like that's Finally. what you need in there. Finally. <laughs> Enya. Oh, let's get Enya in there, 100%. Can we get Darude on there also? Like, get some Sandstorm? But like, this is for real. Like, you must do an excellent... It should come with a gunblade, man. That's what I'm saying. No, Buster Blade. Jesus Christ. Not a gunblade. Different different Final Fantasy. Different Final Fantasy. On an unrelated note. <laughs> different Final Fantasy altogether. Um, yes, there should be a Buster Sword, is what I meant to say. So it appears that the full-blown physical copy called the First Class Edition for PS4, uh, you get yourself a cloud figure complete with Buster Sword and uh, his motorcycle. Collectible check, Buster Sword, Buster Sword check, motorcycle check. Motorcycle called the Hardy Daytona, because apparently they couldn't get the Harley rights. Okay. Mm, um, I got to say- Art book, art book. Art book, yeah, yeah, yeah. Art Check. book, CD, mini soundtrack, steel book, yeah, steel book, CD, cactar summon, CD, C CD, CD. Let me check, check. Enya, mini Enya. soundtrack, Enya is confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the two summons are cactar summon materia and carbuncle, carbuncle. Good lord, summon materia. Which something I feel like you need to get a doctor to look at a carbuncle. Nice, yeah. Get that. Get your carbuncle checked out, friends. Twice. I hear CBD cures that. Um, let's continue on. Nio two, Neo two. <laughs> I have not yet played Neo one, although it's been burning a hole in my backlog for a long time. Neo two, presumably more Neo. It's like Sekiro, but way further out there. They go harder on demons or everywhere. There's some really wacky type demon enemies, like a wheel monk that is actually just like a spiked wheel with a face. A lot more magic. And ridiculous weapons being brought to bear. So it's a little more fantastical than uh, a Sekiro. Nice. Yeah. It sounds good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to try Neo. Um, and I have the game. I'll, I'll definitely fire up the first one before I go out and pick up the second one. But the other thing, Animal. So Animal Crossing. It's the subtitle now for the love of God. Animal Crossing Switch. New Horizons. If you can't tell, I'm not an Animal Crossing guy. Played Animal Crossing on, I want to say, 64. Not my bag of treats. How about you? Never have I ever. 
Oh, okay. So from my understanding, like Animal Crossing, so all of these games kind of fit into the same vein of Animal Crossing, Harvest Moon, and um, the new one, Stardew Valley. For me, Stardew Valley feels like the one that I would spend the most time with. I've spent a small amount of time with it on uh, on PC, and absolutely, when the dust settles on some of my backlog, we'll be picking it up for Switch. I Just fun fact, literally every airplane I've ever been on, Almost every airplane I've ever been on, there's someone playing Stardew Valley on the Switch. Like, it's ubiquitous. Andy, I I have to be honest. I've literally played none of those games. And in my heart of hearts, I have to tell you, in my mind, they're all the same game. Those are one game. That's, that is one game. One game. There's there's some marked differences. Spent almost no time with Harvest Moon either. Animal Crossing though is one of those games that there's no conflict whatsoever, and and all of them are that way. Stardew Valley there's there's some elements of conflict and pressure, and some kind of out of nowhere interesting relational conflicts and stuff like it'll lay some heavy shit on you here and there animal crossing is literally a non-frictional game right from Mm. again from what i understand i've not played it so the opposite of mahjong soul the opposite of mahjong soul so maybe before i i lampoon it i should actually give it a try because from all accounts a people love animal crossing and b what i've read about it is that is the ultimate form of relaxation available in bite-sized chunks Ooh. You power it on. There's no pressure. You go in. You like do your thing. You can apparently do your thing, whatever that is, with friends. You know, you're I don't know, growing plants and and socializing and giving people gifts and things. Fine. You know what? It sounds like a, an interesting you know experience to dive into. Out of the three of those, the one that appeals to me the most, I would say, is Stardew Valley. So I'm not as stoked about Animal Crossing as the rest of the Western world. People are jacked up about it. People are super excited. And there's actually an Animal Crossing Switch coming out that people are clamoring Ooh, for. That's as the one I we're talking about. That is the one we're talking about. Doom Eternal comes out I tomorrow. Just, I gotta, I gotta just, we've been talking about Animal Crossing Switch the whole time. Just wanted to fire that one across your bow. Oh, thanks. I'll cut that out. <laughs> This is whole conversation. Animal Crossing Switch. No, but I mean, they're no. I'm saying they're bringing out a a switch that is branded with Animal Crossing. It's okay. Custom edition. Sorry, I appreciate you throwing me a bone there. I have functioning brain cells, kind of. (laughs) You have left the quarantine. Yeah, that's that's the thing for which we're talking about. An entered space. Yeah, I love it. So Doom Eternal comes out tomorrow. uh, The new newest edition of Doom. It looks awesome. It looks like they have just tuned every system up one notch apparently platformy stuff there's some like puzzly platforming stuff that people have been so so some reviewers about all in all an improvement in every every way and if you pre-ordered it you get doom 64 as well for the ps4 doom 64 word also half-life alex is coming out on the 23rd what is half-life alex Oh, I can't believe you haven't heard of this. Okay, so it takes place between Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2. You mm-hmm. take the reins of Alex, which is his uh, his compatriot in the second one, uh, the mechanic lady, and it's VR, 100% VR. It looks wonderful. If there was oh. ever a VR seller, go out and watch this trailer. I'm probably not, it's probably not VR time for me. I have a powerhouse laptop, but I don't think it's a VR powerhouse laptop. Mm. Uh, but if but if there were ever anything, you know, Valve just refuses to appease gamers. They're like, please make Half-Life 3. They're like, we're going to make everything else because we own Steam and we make a hojillion dollars. And they're like, <laughs> been quietly working away. Not, like not, 
not saying anything. And they're like, guys, we got a new Half-Life and it's VR and it's not a continuation of the series. And everyone's like, why do you do this? Why are you like this? Wow. Because we can't. Because we can't. I probably won't get a chance, chance to play this, but check out some of the gameplay trailers. It does look rad. Yeah, okay. I, I dig you. I dig you. So uh, Persona 5 is the last title here that kind of catches my eye. I gotta. I just don't know how a Persona 5 Golden or, or Persona 5 Enhanced Edition, because this, this is the definitive version of Persona 5. And okay. for all intents and purposes, Persona 5, which was already a 100-hour long game plus... Uh, one that I notably lost a bet to you that I would beat and yes. resulted in you getting a free copy of Spider-Man. It is earned, a long freaking game. Earned copy. Earned yeah. copy. Thank you. Now, excellent game, by the way. Wonderful game. You know, um, if you haven't played Persona, it's an interesting RPG that also has this kind of life simulator, high school simulator thing wrapped up into it, which is way less lame than it sounds. Dungeon crawling that is dramatic and and interesting and uh how, how do i describe it i don't know you got to play persona it's a it's a unique kind of game plus an amazing soundtrack like the the theme song to persona 5 the the kind of lobby music the moody atmospheric music that persona 5 has is fucking amazing like i still listen to it to this day i've heard the best soundtrack of all time that's that's uh, what's been told to any game very damn close but what the hell is the the new ver- like and everyone loves the new version for example inverse is calling it the Near perfect game, even better. How they describe Persona 5 is mashup of JRPG, social sim, and dungeon crawler, which is what I just said, but super not elaborate, more elaborate and less succinct <laughs> specifically. Nice. Oh, pretty baked. Now, All right. Now, I, uh, I just want to cover this base, Andy, because I thought Persona 5 Royal was its own title. No, dude. No, it's it's the same. It's the same game. Oh, okay. A longer, more intimate story. Right. So there's some additional characters. There's some more. Um, some they're basically summons. They're called personas, but they're they're functionally summons. There's a little bit more length in the game. Um, some of the things that were talked about in the original was that everything felt a lot more intimate in the first kind of third of the game and that that didn't really you know carry into the latter half so presumably uh, some of the new relationships and some of the new people who are featured in the game kind of help bridge the gap there there's more uh, there's some improved visuals new aesthetics i see that there's a new lady protagonist as well i don't know about a pro there's a new story arc uh, added that sort of uh, centers around the new girl character, Lady. Yeah, I mean, they, they what I do know is they fleshed out the social sim uh, side of the, the game. So that's one of the hardest parts of the Persona series, whether I've played four and five, where you've got to kind of manage your time, who you're spending time with kind of translates into this, you know, into their those characters becoming closer to you, other opportunities in game, they can become stronger in some ways. So the social sim side is very much integrated with this, like going into a otherworldly third dimension anime dungeon and doing your thing. What I'm discovering from this conversation, it's very hard to articulate what persona is. (laughs) It's pretty challenging. For my money, I cannot understand why they would re-release this game and make it a PS4 exclusive. Why is this not a Switch title? It hurts me inside and out. All I want is this game available to me on the go. It is such a long title. There's very little chance I'm going to sit down and even attempt to rebuy this game and try it out with more features on the PS4 when I couldn't even get through the original copy. I realize I'm speaking from a purely selfish perspective, but damn it, I wish it was on the Switch. Andy, you're going to loan me your personal copy, right? Nope. 
digital copy. Uh, Ooh, I, didn't, I don't think. Bad I don't think friend. No, I don't think P5 was was like widely released in physical. It's it. I don't know about that. So, Andy, if your life w- was a social simulator, how do you think you, you're doing? Oh, tired. <laughs> That's his, his answer was selfish. Just want everyone knows about him, and that tells you what that would be for me, buddy. <laughs> Uh, trending upwards. Yeah. Yeah. It's tr- you're become, you've become more social now that you're, you're socially quarantined. I, yeah. My affinity for you is, uh, has gone up and you have, if I were to give your protagonist a bonus, what, what, pro, what bonus would Dank Dan afford you? I do. I do not know what, uh, what you're, you're angling at here. Angman knowledge. You have plus Angman. five ang- Angman knowledge now. Ah, well, we've gone sufficiently off the rails that I, how I dare you not answer my probing question. Ship, I am calling Andy, you shit. If right my now. Affin- if my character affinity was maxed out, what bonus would you enjoy? C- canceled show canceled. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm, you're- I'm personally hurt. That you can't uh, think of a bonus. Your bonus. Uh, what would you give me as a bonus? Uh, I don't know. A superiority complex? <laughs> oh, and it hurts. He comes back sorry, with the Val. left jab after the right hook. You would give me, Dan, the gift of friendship. No, that's a weak answer. How about... I don't... I'm, I, oh, come on, man. How about the fact I always... This is a bad thing to say. I always have $200 cash on me. People are going to break me like a mobile piggy bank. As we uh, as we adjourn this show, Dan is going to go back into his living room where there is a katana hanging on the wall and he's going to continue to deal his illegal black market weed. There is not. False. Not, none of those things are true. You couldn't think of a bonus. I don't know, Dan. Come on. I feel on the spot now. Now, now I feel I, like I'm I would, simultaneously hurting I, you, your feelings. And You know what I would get for you? First of all, it's obviously just plus five charisma. Now that I've had to say it, it uh-huh. doesn't matter. But uh-huh. uh, for you, I would get a plus five. Five. Um, uh, ba- is this the part where you beat me over the head with something idiotic? It feels that way. No, I was gonna go genuine. Do you want me to go a different way? Oh, oh, you're just you're tossing me up like a salad. Uh, I man. would get I would get two things plus five baseball stats because boy, you know your baseball stats and what they mean. What's slugging anyway? No one knows. Uh, and probably plus five listening because buddy, you know how to listen. You got one of those big hearts. What can I say? I just don't know how you took this in the direction of of uh, that you did. You know, I I, I, just, I don't know whether to thank you or to feel embarrassed, but uh, thank, thank me embarrassedly like yeah. one of the one of the Mahjong uh, ladies. Oh, God. <laughs> well, they're proudly embarrassed. I'll give you that much. <laughs> Oh, sweet God. If you would like to, can't remember how to shut this show down. Let me scroll to the, yes. Listener questions or games you want us to play. Hit us up. PurpleDungeonSquid at gmail.com. And do your friend Dank Dan a favor and recommend this title to a friend. Or don't. I uh, have no parental guardianship over you. (laughs) And make sure you follow us on Instagram at PurpleDungeonSquid. Until next time. Please, my friends, keep it dank. Fuck, I am high.